for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blicey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blicey, and this is episode number 33. And on today's episode, Justin and I are diving into our 2019 season goals and everything that we're going to be you know, changing up or doing differently or, you know, anything to have to do around our 2019 hunting season. So I'm excited to get into this one, man. How are you? I'm good. Good. Uh, I'm actually still hunting here in Iowa. I went out last night, but uh, season's pretty much over. I'm just trying to, to cut that last tag, but uh, I don't know. I got some, some, some things on my mind for next year already, that's for sure. So good topic for this week to to be talking about yeah for sure and i'm doing the same i'm down in ohio right now uh muzzleloader season is going on right now and i had one heck of a day yesterday and <laughs> you know probably screwed up a little bit and it's kind of fitting that we had uh the coffee call friday being aging deer on the hoof because i got stumped yesterday and i think it <laughs> I think it cost me a pretty good deer, and uh, what do you do, though? I mean, the deer, he yesterday morning, he he walked out. He was at 100 yards uh, on a green source. It's It's been pretty warm here, so I was hunting green, and he was a wide uh, 10, mainframe 10, short-tined, and, man, he was sitting there, and his face, you know, he had the Roman nose with a short snout, and it just... It was, he was a four-year-old in the face so much. And then he turned his body and I'm like, oh boy. I mean, it was just so borderline. He, he was for sure three. And then I'm like, boy, but he could be four. So I let him walk off. And after the hunt, Adam and I, we, we drove around, we took the electric ranger and drove around the farm to grab cameras that have been marinating ever since November and he ended up showing up on a couple cameras, and I got a really good look at him at a couple of different angles, and the deer's four years old. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, yeah. I kind of screwed up, but what do you do? Um, I've got the next three days at, to, to hunt, and hopefully he'll show back up and and uh, <laughs> and be able to get him down. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, the weather's really nice everywhere, uh, which is fortunate but unfortunate for everybody still hunting but uh i don't know it seems like like we talked about i don't know weeks ago now but you know those warm-ups are kind of a break or a relief for the deer and 
you know, it's it's not a hard winter really anywhere, it seems like. So No. It just sucks because I know that a lot of them are on their feet, like, you know, last hour, you know, the last half hour of daylight. You know, they're not really they're, – they're going back to food, but it's not like it's an October feeding pattern. You know, it's – I just don't see that cold weather pushing them out. Right. Because we don't have the cold weather. So they're just kind of staying batted down and staying in the sun until they have to get up and eat, which – I mean, from what I've been experiencing, has been just about the end of camera light. Yeah, last night, Adam and I got in the blind, and it was, we got in around two, around 2.30. We knew it was kind of early, but I wanted to get in there and be able to have everything settle down and just let it all happen. Well, uh, legal shooting light here in Ohio right now is 5.44, I believe, and at 4.30, 4.28, uh, the first deer came out, three bucks, three little bucks came out, and, I mean, came sprinting to the green. It was unbelievable. That's like, what I've been seeing, too. as fast as they could get there. They're sprinting to it. That opened the floodgates. I mean, those three came out, and then, I don't know, just one after another, another it seemed like. And basically from, oh, I would say probably from five until – you know, legal shooting light, 544, somewhere in there. It was constant deer movement coming into us, uh, into the green. And it, we ended up seeing 30 deer and nine bucks. We saw a really wow. good three-year-old. Um, actually, a couple good three-year-olds. One real slammer three-year-old. But I don't know. The movement was good. We could have we could have shot all of them, all the deer. You know, they were in within range. Yep. All came into the green plot and everything. But we have cut corn around around us, and they're just not in the cut corn at all. It's that it's you know if it's warm, go to green is is staying true because they run through the cornfield to get to the green because I can see it all happen. So yeah. And it's been warm, like you said. You know, last night it was like forty seven degrees, and they were up moving. We saw thirty different deer. So. Yeah, I only saw seven, but it was, like, I got out of the truck to walk in, and it was, like, 245, and my truck said it was 58 degrees. Oh, really? Yeah, it was nuts. I mean, I found some standing beans on a piece of public land, like, 45 minutes from my house, and uh, I didn't really have high expectations, but I, was, I said, you know, it's it's the only food around. There's no food plots. There's no green. And it, you know, it could be worse, but uh, right. I don't know. I'm gonna keep hunting that. I think until probably Tuesday or Wednesday, and then uh, I may, I may hunt the boss's private farm. He's got some some management bucks he wants to get out still, and only one tag left for himself. So he invited me to hunt there. Once they take off for ATA, and uh, I don't know if I don't kill on public, I'm probably going to take them up on that. Hopefully, get some cold weather move in, or maybe even a cold front. I mean, it's just been so warm. But you know, I mean, tomorrow, today is going to be the day here in Ohio. Tomorrow, it's seventy percent chance of rain. It's supposed to go up to fifty degrees, and Tuesday's the last day of the muzzled season, and it's supposed to be like forty percent chance of rain and like fifty degrees. Today's sticking around 34 to 35 degrees. So I'm putting a lot of a lot of emphasis on tonight. I didn't actually hunt this morning because the wind was terrible for getting into this area where I wanted to get. And I you know late season like this in January, I would have done more harm getting in there this morning in the situation and how I have to access this farm because in my eyes right now the you know, the more valued sits are at night. So yeah. I just took the morning off and we're doing this podcast now. And so hopefully it pays off tonight. Um, we'll see the deer that I, you know, I probably should have went, you know, took yesterday. We end up naming him Malcolm <laughs> for Malcolm in the middle of that TV show back in the day yep. because I was real hesitant about, you know, I was in the middle of decision. Should I, shouldn't I, is he three, is he four or whatever? So He's ever for known ever known as uh, Malcolm now, so nice. <laughs> hopefully he'll come back out. But there's some there's still some deer around. I mean, Highwayman is still there, and and Bobby Boucher. So, and you never know what might just show up. So, yeah. hanging my head on that too. Yeah, it's always it's always that X factor. Yeah, speaking of X factors, so you know we're in 2019 now, but we're wrapping up 
2018 season. So going into 2019, you know, what, what are your goals? What are you looking to do and what are you looking to change for, you know, this upcoming deer season? Um, you know, I've been hunting the public land here in Iowa all season. Uh, you know, it was my first year here, but, um, I'm going to entertain the lease option. I think for next year, I'm going to start, start keeping my eye out for leases that are going to be coming up here and, uh, just try to find something I can invest more time into and apply some of these strategies like we've talked about, or, you know, that maybe a lot more other people are doing. I just, I'm not going anywhere. And it's not that I dislike the public hunting. Um, I mean, I think it's a real test of, you know, your understanding and your abilities as a whitetail hunter to, to go out there and, you know, just match wits with the deer that all the other guys are hunting too, you know, like that, that are in the same situation. They, maybe they don't have a lease or they're, they don't have any private ground, you know, whatever reason drives them out there, you know, it just adds another element to the hunt when you have to outsmart the people and the deer, I think. And, uh, like I said, it's not a bad thing and I'm not unhappy with the results I've had. I just, I would like an option that I can invest my time into where I can try to grow some deer and, you know, just have that, that, uh, that relationship or that story with, with the animal, you know, a little deeper. Now, you know, you want to do the lease. What, what, how are you going to go about doing that? Are you just going to start knocking on doors? Are you going to, you know, look at any leasing agents or, you know, what's your plan of attack there? Uh, I'm going to start with looking at some of those leasing agent type websites, um, and just kind of see what's available, get an idea for, you know, what a good price is per acre. And then, uh, I don't know. I really don't know what else to do when it comes to trying to lease private ground. I mean, it seems like if there is anything available or if any farmers know that they can do that, they're already doing it. And if they don't do it, it's because they hunt it themselves. Right. Um, it seems like one of those things that's kind of really gotten a lot of traction the last, you know, five years, I guess, seems like all over the country that it's just another way for, for farmers to make a few extra bucks every year. And, you know, it's just, they seem like they're harder to find, but when you do find them, like everything else, you end up getting what you pay for. So oh, I'm in the very beginning stages of, of that right now, I think just kind of browsing, if you want to call it that and uh, seeing what's out there for the money. I don't know. I mean, it's, I had one in Ohio, two years ago which I ended up only hunting like twice and the guy wouldn't let us do any food plots he wouldn't let us take a four-wheeler or anything in there you know it was just really this is the land you can hunt it that's it not really what I was looking for but right I don't know different different ball game now and are you going to I mean what kind of what kind of land are you looking for are you looking for a big chunk like how many acres are you looking for is it specific or do you really want to just get the right chunk no matter how many acres it is um honestly i think what it'll come down to is what it's going to cost me um unfortunately mm -hmm. that's going to be my limiting factor but um i probably wouldn't take anything less than you know an 80 um but like a, I don't know, a 150 I think would be ideal. Something big enough to to call something big enough that would you know house deer year round, where you can identify bucks that live there and stay there. Yeah. Just to be able to have your hands on them all year. Right. It just depends, like what it is. I mean, even a 40. Like I don't think I'd be afraid of a 40 acre piece if it was in the right place. You know, if there were certain circumstances that that made it stand out to me, you know, um, I wouldn't take anything, you know, bordering like, a. I wouldn't take a 40 bordering a 200 that's already leased out to somebody else. I mean, right. I don't see much value in that, but you know, if it bordered, if it bordered public land, maybe I would, you know, I'd try to let my place be a place for the deer to go to once they get pressured. Yep. You know, that's kind of a, that's a unique answer in a way because a lot of guys would probably steer away from something that would be bordering public land for a lot of different reasons, you know, yeah. pressure. But then, like you just said, 
you know, you want a spot where your deer can go once that public land does get pressured. And that is, can be a plus if your property is, you know, you could make that into some bedding and some good food. Cause you know, a lot of public land, you know, you're struggling to find food on public land. If yeah. you have the ability to put food on your property and have it there and leave it there, I mean, the deer are going to be coming out of the woodwork and coming over to you. Right. I would think. That's what I would think too. And I mean, that was where I shot my buck this year in November. Um, you know, being that I was hunting the public side of that line, I found a spot where that border had standing corn on it. So, I mean, I, I kind of applied that same logic to to hunting the property that's already being pressured, you know. So I just I situated myself on the edge trying to catch the deer as they move off of public into that private piece. So there's ups and downs and pros and cons to it, no matter what side of the fence you're hunting on. But like I said, if it was the right piece and you could put the food far enough off the line, you know, like complete opposite, try to pull deer out of there and keep them on you, I mean, it seems like a slam dunk in my mind. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I can't wait to see what you find and what you can do with a piece if you, if you find something like that because there's a lot of different ways you can put everything in your favor, basically. Yeah. And that would be cool to see the the strategic way that you, you go about doing that. And I'd like to cover that on the podcast. So hopefully, you know, from now trying to find something and getting something and then making it come to fruition I think would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think it would be. And it's like one of those things where – I don't know, you walk in and you're you're starting from scratch, you know. Like you have no idea maybe maybe you know what's been shot there in the past, like if you have a way to get that information, but you know, you're walking in with fresh eyes, like you might know what somebody else did as far as food plots or where their stands were, but I don't know. Just to be able to, to put your own spin on it and do it your way. That's that's right. That's half the fun, you know. That's a lot of the fun for me. I mean and I know for you too as as well. I mean, killing is basically the dessert, you know, getting getting on a on a good deer and and getting them on the ground. But yeah. me, like I'm chomping at the bit right now just to get the rest of my hinge cutting done for this next year and I've got a big plan of attack for Michigan and I'm excited, really excited to to see it come to fruition and and just do it. Like I love the process. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's there's just so many things like as deer hunters, you know that we wish we could do if we had our own piece of land you know and in the the long run i don't think a lease is any cheaper but if you're just looking to have a small place to call your own you know for a portion of the year i mean it's 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 nothing to to walk away from i mean it's a great option so many people do it and kill great deer doing that yeah and that's that's i have that luxury in michigan i do have my own piece you know, with the main farm, but it's not, I only can do so much with it because there's not as much timber and you have to get really strategic and really creative with it in the ways you try to get on these deer. And I've got a pretty cool plan this year that I I really hope that it works, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. I don't know. It'll be a fun process to introduce on the podcast, you know, like just continue talking about this as it progresses I'm 90% sure I will do it. I mean, if, if I find a place I like, it's going to happen. So, you know, and if it happens to be a big chunk and I need a partner on it, then I'll find somebody. <laughs> right. It's something I yep. can't afford on my own. You know, it's being able to bring in, you know, some, some blinds and cameras and all the stuff that I have access to through work, you know, that that goes a long way in trying to, trying to get somebody to, to go in with you. Yeah, that's that's half the battle is trying to find someone to maybe keep your cost down as well a little bit and still have a farm big enough to where it, it can hunt two guys yeah. big. You know, it could be a 40, but it could hunt big too. Yep. Um, and you don't want to get too many guys on there. Yeah, no, it's, and that's just it. Like you get too many people on there, then it's like, oh, well, you hunted my stand or I told you I was going there tomorrow or, you know, you get into just problems unless you're all on the same page and like, like Chuck said the other day, you know, if it has to do with, what do you say, uh, women and something and hunting, you're going to lose friends over it. Religion. Religion, yeah. <laughs> women, religion, and hunting, yep. you're going you're gonna to lose friends over it. So, Yeah. 
We still got to make that T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I think you should. Maybe the next round. <laughs> yeah, that's. I'm in the process of doing that, and maybe we'll get one on the on the second round. But so as far as you know, you're gonna do the try to do the least thing. I mean, you're still gonna do public as well. Are you gonna change anything on the public side? Are you gonna you know still do a run and gun? Are you gonna are you gonna try to revamp your run and gun system a little bit, a little lighter, or you know? You know, for, I guess first of all, what is your system? What what gear are you using, and are you gonna change it at all? Um, I think short answer to that is no. I'm not gonna change much, if anything. I don't think. Um, I had a great. I I consider myself having had a great season this year for the first time hunting Iowa, never seeing any of this land before, and just just scouting it out and you know looking at maps. So as far as gear goes. Um, I'm using lone wolf stands and their sticks uh, just because they pack so nice. Everything is, you know, the sticks strap right onto the onto the stand. Really nice, comfortable shoulder straps. And uh, I actually have a backpack that I'm using. Um, it's like a soft-sided bow case with a backpack integrated into it. It's like if, imagine taking a bow oh, case. Really? Yeah, imagine taking a bow case and, like, you know, tip it vertically you know, so you got that that straight side, that that straight edge would, would be the bottom of the case. You know, on one side, if you were to cut mm-hmm. off, you know, horizontally, maybe cut like uh, two feet off of that. You know, you're left with a little over half of the bow case, and then there's a backpack integrated on top of that, so you can slide your bow in there. You get all your stuff in the pack. But what I've been doing is, you know, even though that lone wolf is really light, that that's still why I choose to use that. But I put the stand in the bow case, carry my bow, put my tripod and camera and everything in the backpack. And then if you get into toting in camera arms and all that stuff, I mean, it's, you're pretty weighted down, but we've talked about that before. That's that's a whole nother animal to skin there. But what, uh, what pack is it? What's it called? Uh, it's by insights insights hunting. And, uh, I think that one is called. Oh man, I don't know off the top of my head. I have to look. So it's called Insights Hunting. I've never heard of that. So they actually make a pack. Is that for like a run and gun setup? Uh, yeah, it seems like it. Or else like a long distance kind of thing where, you know, if you're packing your bow, you don't want to have it in a sling or you don't want to be carrying it for whatever reason. Um, you throw it right in that in that bag, you know, in the case. Um, you know, and just and just go. That's cool. It I have is. to look that pack up. That's 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 cool. Maybe I'll put that in the show notes for everybody if they want to. Any running gun guys out there, I'll put it in the show show notes. The a link to there so you guys can see what Justin uses there. Yeah, definitely do that. Um, they're on Instagram too. You can look them up at Insights Hunting. It, it's a really cool pack and it's comfortable. Um, it's called the in, the Vision is what it's called. The Vision Bow Pack by Insights. Okay. Yeah, I'll put something in the show notes, and if you guys want to look that up, and I know there's quite a few guys on here that do the run and gun of that. Um, they listen to it, and they they're always. I mean, all those run and gun guys are trying to revamp their revamp their process. Yeah, it, like I said, to me it helps because like you never know what you're going to run into on the way to your stand. I mean, if you've got a short walk, and I say short, like you know, quarter to half a mile or a couple hundred yards, whatever it may be, I like throwing that the stand in the bow case part of the pack carry your bow in you know and then just start start setting up when you get to where you're going if it's a hanging bang scenario but um i had really good luck with it I throw my i throw my quiver right in there once the bow's out you know get my bow hung up set my tree arm up and everything and then i hang it on the top hook of my step because here on public land, you can't screw anything into the tree. It's all got to be strapped on. You can't puncture the cambium layer of the tree. I think is how they define it. But a lot of a lot of states are like that. Yeah, so it's it's handy. That's for sure. And that's uh, sweet. Again, to circle back and answer your original question, um, short of inventing a lighter, better, faster, quicker <laughs> tree arm. I don't think I would change anything about my setup as far as my running gun on public land. Well, that's cool. You've got it dialed down to what you want it to be, and you're quick and efficient with it and quiet. So that's that's all you can ask for. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really all you can ask for. It took me a while. I think the first time we went out this year, my first hunt was like October 10th or 11th when I passed that three-year-old, the one that crossed the river. And uh, Yep, yeah. Man, that was just like, <laughs> that was a train wreck. The first hunt of the year, you know, like you're just so excited and haven't set a tree arm up and you know, seven or eight months at that point, and you've been shooting your bow, you're like, you're ready to go. Then you realize how out of shape you are and how heavy all your stuff is, and then it takes you way longer than it should to get it all put together and set up. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you just look at each other, and you're like, what the hell? Is this our first day? Yep. Oh, yeah, it is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a great year for me. I couldn't have asked for anything more um, except to cut this one last tag, but what are you going to be doing? What's your plan going into 19? Jim Abbott's gone, and you've been doing some work on your farm. You're already running cameras again. I mean, what are you thinking? Yeah, I've got pretty big plans, like I said. So on the main farm, well, first of all, let's let's back up. I've got three preference points for Iowa right now, yep. and I'm, I'm going to put in this month. I think it's January i got to put in. I'm going to try to get my Iowa tag for this next year, and uh so that's going to be my main focus if I get that tag, but that doesn't mean that the work's going to stop for me in Michigan. So I'm hoping to get the Iowa tag, and I've never hunted Iowa with a weapon. I've I've been filming in Iowa before, and um, so I can't wait to do that. But as far as Michigan goes, my main farm, the one-acre farm, um, you know, so I, I've, I've broke it down for everybody. I don't have a lot of trees, a lot of timber, so my plan this year is – uh, I'm in the process. I've got one box blind that you can shoot a rifle out of. My I'm in the, I'm in the process right now of making that where you can shoot a rifle and a bow out of. Because what I'm going to do next year is I'm going to put that in one of the waterways. There's two waterways that break up the farm, the 80 acres, and it this waterway I'm I'm thinking about. It's it's about 80 to 100 yards off of the point of a tim of the timber on the neighbors uh, that the point of the timber kind of comes out towards my property so this waterway it's got crp in it so i can i can enter it it's the lowest part of the field i can enter in this waterway and get up in this box blind and be able to hunt over whether it's beans or corn this year it'll be wheat um uh the wheat will be off before deer season but the back side of it, I think, might be corn. So that's a way I'm going to utilize being able to hunt this farm a little differently as well. Um, and also the 80-acre field in rifle season, it's just really hard to cover the whole field with one person. So that'll be more on the south end of the 80 acres, like the south quarter. Now on the north, right next to the one acre. So last year, in the one acre, I put three stands in there, and I, I wanted to pre-hang them because it's so tight and confined, and I'm so close to the bedding that I didn't want to do any running gun stuff because I just wanted everything to be done, and I can just get up in the stand and go. Well, I was running into an issue where I couldn't hunt it as much because the wind wasn't right the days that I wanted to hunt it. So coming into this year, I'm going to revamp those stands a little bit, move them, and then I'm also building another box blind that's an octagon and I can shoot a bow and a gun out of and it's going to be right on the north it'd be the northwest point of that one acre so where the deer like to transition out into the food you'd be hunting those deer so I'm not necessarily getting in the one acre but I can still hunt this box blind with any wind because I can get in there it's going to be sealed tight I'm going to put it out there this spring um it's going to be on stilts. So, and even, you know, my wife and I can cover the whole farm with a gun, you yeah. know, with two guns, basically. She can hunt one, I can hunt the other. So we're not missing anything. So that is how I'm going to change up hunting it a little bit differently. I'm going to use box blinds. I don't really want to. I love hunting out of tree stands, but this is what I have to deal with. And uh, that that's that's the way I'm going to do it with those. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to move some tree stands and then when I get back from this trip I'm going to go in and I'm going to hinge cut some more in the 1 acre. So it would be the it would be the west line of the of the 1 acre. I'm going to get in the woods 
probably five to ten yards, probably ten yards. And I'm going to make basically I like to call it a slash cut, but I, I cut trees at all different heights, but I hinge them. So anything from, you know, uh, it would be shin to knee to waist to even chest height, like in layers, I'm going to be hinging a wall from the northwest corner down to the southeast corner. So that'll allow me to be able to get into that box blind on days where there could be deer bedded. Now, I did test it out this year, and I didn't know it at the time, but when we were rifle hunting, the box blind that we were rifle hunting on is in the same spot where I want to put this other one, and it's honestly only about 60 yards off of the one acre. So I was getting in there in the morning and not disturbing anything that was bedded in the one acre. Now, one morning, Jim Abbott was bedding in there when I got in, and I didn't know it until after, you know, after the morning sit. I was, I did a bonehead move and decided to try to, to do a little scouting, and I kicked him out of his bed, and he was literally right on the edge, and I got in there in that morning and did not disturb him. I got within 60 to 70 yards of him, and he didn't even know it. Wow. So I can do that. I can get in there, but I want to make it a little thicker. So that's that's key, and that's kind of the light bulb moment that made me think, like, I can do this. So that's going to be, like, the biggest change. Now, on the other side of the road, um, we are putting another box blind, another octagon, where you can shoot a bow and a gun out of just to give another spot to hunt. And my father-in-law, he hunts that side of the road with his rifle, so that'll be his, you know, where he's going to rifle hunt. And it just gives another like I said, another spot to be able to field hunt or field edge hunt where there's there's trees on that side, but they're just they're few far in between to be able to put a bow stand in. And uh, I want to work some food plots in some areas where on the edge of fields and everything. So that's going to be kind of the my game plan for that farm going forward. On my family farm, I'm going to step my food plot game up a lot more this year. And that farm, actually, I cannot hinge cut anything because while it'd be my cousin that actually owns it, um, he is a logger. So he comes in and logs off and slot cuts and everything. So we're not allowed to cut a lot of the timber. Yeah. So we got to kind of get, you know, we got to get creative with our, our methods. And I like to hunt edges and transitions there because there's a lot of edges. And this year I'm going to step up my food plot game there. So that's my big change on that one. I do have food plots on there, but I have not really paid a lot of attention to them. I'm going to get back into that and and really hone in on some some better food and and I want to make the plots like diverse. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the past we've as a camp, we would like put a food plot here that's clover. We'd put one over there that's soybeans and over there that's peas well this year I want to take a new approach and instead of doing that I want to take one plot and put all those into one so maybe one corner is soybeans one corner is peas one corner is wheat one corner is you know brassicas or clover or whatever and the, my theory behind that is you know a doe family group in my opinion will come and they'll make that home and instead of having them jump from this plot to the other plot to the other plot to the other plot and then kicking deer off because doe family groups will come in and eat everything and they will they will not allow deer to come on your farm and, or bucks. So I think with having diverse plots all over instead of onesies, twosies, basically, I think a doe family group will call that home. And then maybe on the other side of the farm, if it's a diverse plot with a whole bunch of different selections for them a smorgasbord if you will yeah another doe family group will call that and i think in turn i think it'll hold more deer on the property because you have all these different you know each plot has a diverse a diversity of food so if they feel peas one day or they feel beans or whatever it is and then in the bucks it, i think it keeps the stress off the farm and in the bucks like that too and i think it'll get the bucks to come to your farm more and want to check these plots in the rut for different does they're not only checking one family group does that might only have one doe in heat they're going to go from plot to plot or in transition zones i think it's just going to get them up moving a lot more so that's yeah. that's kind of my theory behind that i think it's a good theory so honestly 
Yeah, I hope so. I hope it works. <laughs> and I'm I'm interested to see how it, it does play out. So that is going to be my biggest changes this year. Um, and then I, I want to do some run and gun. You know, I've been talking about it. But on the main farm, I just can't. You know, it's so close quarters. Like I said, it's I have a problem with trying to get in there and being I can try to be as quiet as I can, but I'm getting so close to where these deer are bedding. And it's just, I like to get in and pop up the tree and be done with it, you know? Yeah. So that's still, still my plan right now, but I'm going to use, utilize box blinds a little more and, and try to get creative with my hinge cutting this year. And it's just trying to find creative ways to be successful. That's all I'm looking to do. Yeah. Sometimes just those, those slight little changes like that is, is what it takes I think a lot of times deer get so used to, I want to say the same thing, but I don't mean by, I don't mean that by, you know, the same food options or the same bedding areas, you know, the same cover types. It's like they are creatures of habit to a degree, but I think there's a certain element of that, that, you know, they, they know where your tree stands are. I think, I mean, in my experience, there's times where, especially those old mature does, like you're talking, they'll walk in and they'll look right at that tree first thing to see if anybody's in there yep exactly i had one last night actually down here in ohio we were sitting in this banks blind and windows were closed up and we had the scent lock oz the oz unit going and the wind was kind of cutting them in a way it was kind of iffy but i but it was it was it, it would swirl every once in a while with this doe i mean there's like 20 deer in front of us in this food plot and this doe is just she's trying to pick us and I think somebody might have been in that blind before and been picked. But I'm like, man, she's going to get us. Well, she never ended up getting us. They were just, all the deer were just skittish last night for some odd reason. They never ended up blowing. They never ended up smelling us or nothing. But it was just they were on edge. And I don't know what it was. I'm trying to wrap my head around why they were doing that. But I don't know if it was like the gun pressure. There was a lot of shooting going on yesterday because it was opening day of muzzleloader season. I don't... I don't know what it was, but they were all on edge. She never, like I said, never ended up smelling us or nothing and, and kind of went back to her business. But we passed the sniff test and passed the stare down for about 10 minutes, and, and that was that. But that's one of those does that comes in the plot, and she just, she's, you know, she's trying to alert everybody, those alpha does. And oh, yeah, those are the ones to she kill. Needs, <laughs> she needs to be, yep, yeah, yeah, she needs to be taken out of the herd for sure. And she's a big, big mature doe. Those are always the ones that get you. They are, and they're the ones that try so hard and then blow the field, and uh, it it drives you nuts, really. Yeah. I got one thing I'm looking into that's, like, totally off the wall. I want to shoot a, bus, a bison. I want to shoot a buffalo. You want to shoot a buffalo. Yeah. That is way off the wall. Yeah. Now, why do you want to shoot a buffalo? I don't know. I just It just hit me. Like, <laughs> after Christmas, I just was like, man, that's... I really don't know where it came from. I can tell you that I've had buffalo before. I don't know if you've ever have, but it is delicious. Yeah, that's, I mean, I know it's not like shooting a a mountain lion. I mean, I'm not going to eat a mountain lion, but, like, I know buffalo is awesome. It's awesome for you. It's so lean. It's leaner than deer meat, and there's a lot of it. It's like one of those things you could do at one time and be like, yeah, I'm good. Just check it off the list, you know, and. Yep. Fill seven freezers in the meantime. <laughs> Do you have a plan to go hunt one this fall? Or whenever? The se- I don't even know when the season is. When is the season? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still looking. <laughs> like I'm, I just know you can get them anywhere from Oklahoma to North Dakota. So I'm just, I, I don't know anything about it. I think that's half the attraction. The only thing I know about like old, old mature bulls is that they kind of get shunned out of the herd. So like hunting a big old mature male he's going to be the one all by himself that's the only thing i know about it okay but that's interesting i'm I'm excited you should do that i really want to i want to know more about that i mean i don't know how long it might take to do it but i think i'm going to put some effort into figuring it out there you go i'm excited to to follow your journey with that <laughs> <laughs> that is so totally off the wall though just want to go hunt some buffalo yeah <laughs> i don't know it's just like a historically such a iconic animal and i think like as a hunter yeah. like something you can really connect to like if you go into it with that kind of a mindset you know like what it represents in 
American history. Like, I don't know. I just I want to see what that what it feels like. And then if I yeah. actually, if I happen to get one, you know, then obviously it's all the better. But I don't know. I never thought I never thought about it before. It's always like I gotta go to New Mexico and do elk. I want to go to the Yukon and do moose. You know, like those are fun. They would be fun. But 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 I don't feel like a buffalo is really on anyone's you know top ten list. Yeah, go kill one, and when you do, <laughs> you're sending a, like a a half a backstrap to me just so you know <laughs> okay <laughs> sounds like a play because i want to try that i've had buffalo before it was a while ago but i just remember it being so good yeah i i, I know a lot of restaurants are even starting to serve it like obviously not the same quality or condition i wouldn't think but like i know like cheesecake factory and like ruby tuesdays like there's some chain restaurants that have it on their menus mostly in really burger form yeah but I don't know. I got to try it. I got to do it one time. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> just go do it. Just say, screw it. I'm going to do it. Just leave one day and just go hunt one. A public land buffalo in South Dakota. How about that? There you go. With a bow. Spot and stop. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think you should just leave one day and just say, I'm going on a buffalo hunt and just do it. That's, I mean, <laughs> nothing else really to talk about. Don't talk about <laughs> yeah, it. Be about sure. it, right? That's what they say. Be about it. That's all you got to do is just be about it. So kind of rewinding back to deer season, you know, in a recap of this last season, the season that we're ending right now, so 2018, what what was your most memorable hunt that you were on, you know, whether it was hunting or filming? Like wh- what was the high point of the season? Oh, man. Uh I think the first thing, I mean, it sounds pretty cliche, but shooting my first buck in Iowa, I mean, November 9th, about three o'clock in the afternoon when I rattled that buck in on the ground by myself and filming it, like, you know, I, I mentioned it before in a, in a coffee call, but, you know, just to have, have my wife agree to sell our house, pack our stuff, quit her job, and just move to a place we don't know anybody, all for the job I took that ultimately is, you know, revolving around deer hunting. So it's like, that was huge. And, yeah, you know, like I mentioned with Chuck the other day, in my recovery interview, like, the words just came out of my mouth, like unrehearsed, that, you know, as a hunter, you get to define your own trophy. And, like in that moment, it was like time stood still. I mean, it sounds so cliche and so corny, but I mean, that's the stuff I thought about once I saw that deer fall. It wasn't like a fist pumping, you know, hell yeah kind of a moment. I mean, it was, but it wasn't like an exaggerated excitement, you know, it was more of like an appreciation feeling for me. And I mean, if you, well, you're asking me to put, something at the top of the list i think that moment was it for for 29 i think that moment was it for 2018 for me yeah i i wouldn't doubt it at all man because that's the first time you've ever done that and you're successful at it and i mean like you said you it's kind of cliche but the thing is is that that was the high point of your season because it was a first and you conquered that goal that you set out to do yeah, and it, it, there was so many other sacrifices involved that, you know, that weren't directly made to have that opportunity, but, you know, that opportunity came about because of the move, you know, and it was, that sounds kind of contradictory, but I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm having a hard time explaining it, I guess. Like, I, yeah. I, I didn't, no, I, totally I, didn't understand. I didn't move and ask my wife to quit her job and sell sell my house and leave my family to go shoot that one deer, but I came for a job that was a career change or a career move rather. And shooting that deer was kind of when it all came together for me to, to be able to look back and say it was the right decision. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was just kind of like icing on the cake. Honestly, it was your dessert. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know. That was the defining moment, you know, that kind of validated all that sacrifice 
and here we are talking about going into next season. So still here. It's crazy. Still working and still going to keep hunting. So, yep. But you know, on the sure man on the other side of that coin, you know, if you ask about the high point, I think you need to consider the low points too. Um, And obviously, that same that same realization came, you know, in that moment that made me think about everyone I left and all the people that I wish were there for me to talk to or to come help me get it out or to come take pictures or, you know, go have buck night in the garage, you know, like it was so good and I was so appreciative for that moment. But once I got home, it was like, well, shit, now what? Like there's nobody here. <laughs> I like, I exactly, you know, and it was like, man, it, it, it kind of hurt a little bit and I don't know. I, I never wanted to be home more than than that moment. Just to celebrate it and just to have that moment with all the, you know, friends and family that you grew up with. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And it's just, it's different mm-hmm. without that. Yeah. I get it, man. Cause that's, that's one thing I, you know, with doing the job that we do filming and everything, like that's tough because, you know, I grew up with deer camp and, and tracking all your friends deer every night getting a phone call hey let's go tracking and that's something that the last you know six or seven years i haven't been able to do and that's one thing that i really look forward to is is deer camp and the buck pole and and you know but that's just a sacrifice you have to make for you know your career sometimes and i'm not and it'll it'll it won't always be like that like eventually you know, like this year I got to experience deer camp for the first time in a while. Um, and it was, it was fun, like to be up there in the camaraderie at camp before opening day and, and drinking some beers and, and bullshitting and stuff like that. Like I got to experience that and it, and it brought back the good memories and, you know, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I totally get where you're coming from. No, I do got to give a quick shout out to my buddy, Kyle. Uh, he, he lived about 15 minutes away from where I was hunting and he was supposed to go out to dinner with his wife that night and they were in a similar situation. He moved to Iowa to work for another show, still works for that show. And, uh, he came to help me get it out. Like he, he put his wife off. His, his wife said, I understand, go help. Like I was by myself and he dropped what he was doing and came to help me. So, I mean, I am very appreciative of Kyle and the help he gave me. So it's not like it was totally lacking. Like, I had somebody, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. So thanks, Kyle, if you hear this. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's cool to have those guys that are able to drop whatever and, and kind of come out and, and help you do that stuff. Yeah, but how about you? What uh, what was your high and low of the season? The best and the worst? Man, um, a lot of, lot of lows. <laughs> I guess I should say a lot of highs with lows immediately after. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's That's a tough one. You know, I went on my first drop this year, and we went to northern Saskatchewan on a moose hunt for 30 days, lived in a tent. Um, it was a really, really awesome ex- experience. You know, my first moose hunt I've ever been on. And a lot of people would probably think that that would be my high, but it's really not. Um, it was, it was a really big high, but like I've said before, in my area of Michigan, in the pressured, you know, high pressured state to try to kill a four and a half year old whitetail on the property that I have is basically near impossible. And I don't want to try to play it up a ton, but it really is. I mean, in all my years of hunting, this is like the first four year old four year old I've ever been able to hunt in Michigan. And to have a story for three years with this deer and to chase him, it's just something that's hard to explain. Cause a lot there's a lot of people out there like, Yeah, oh, you're crazy. Like chasing one deer, naming that deer and it's deer hunting. Just go out and kill a deer. It's like I understand that, but like I like to challenge myself even more and take it to the next step. I don't have to kill a buck every year. I don't feel like I have to. I like the journey and the chase to it. So 
going in that morning when I did shoot Jim, it was October 13th, and I did things that I told myself I would never do. I went in in a morning hunt, walking through a standing bean field to get to my stand, which is what everybody says is a no-no because there's deer feeding in the field and everything. And But you don't know unless you try. And it was a cold front. I went in there, and he walked by me. And I had an opportunity at that deer. So that was the ultimate high. Now, basically, two days later, after tracking him for forever, was the ultimate low right away. You know, and then leaving, going on a trip, and then having the biggest deer of my life, you know, with Casey in Kansas, shakes 190 to 200 inch deer at 28 yards it's the closest i've ever been to a deer that big yeah that was a high as well but you know for my ultimate high it would have been that day october 13th with jim now i didn't end up getting him but to put myself in that situation in the circumstances what i did i went against everything that i've told myself and everything that you hear to put myself in that situation that was my ultimate high. And I wouldn't change that for the world, honestly. So there was a lot of things that, you know, culminated to make that happen. And I don't know, like I said, it's, I don't have, I don't know. A lot of people would think, well, you didn't kill the deer, you, you wounded them, but why would that be your, your high? And I just explained that, like, that's, everything I went through to, to yeah. get that. And on that farm, if people were to be able to see this farm and a lot of people, a lot of my listeners probably know like friends and family have seen this farm and it's, it's tough sledding. And it's not just this farm, it's farms all around me. You know, it's literally only having about three to four acres of timber to hunt. And it's, there's only one acre of timber on the one piece and three acres on the other. It's, it's, it's difficult, but and then to have him be alive still and then, you know, see him three more times that year, you know, and still chase him like that's I guess that whole story and whole, you know, thing around Jim Abbott would be my high, even though at the end of the day he got hit by a car and that's not how I wanted him to go. But uh, that that would be the high point of my year because that's just what I strive for. That's what I live for. I live for chasing a whitetail and getting to know that deer and and trying to get on him and like meet him on his turf you know and like I said in in one of the podcasts I don't know a while ago you know every time I go into a hunt you know with a deer whether I'm chasing a deer or I'm just going to hunt to try to you know see one of these deer it's an away game you're never at your home field in my opinion because that deer lives on that farm. That deer lives in those woods, knows it like the, you know, like we say, like the back of our hand. Like, they know that like crazy. And, you know, it's like anybody trying to come into your home. You know your home like the back of your hand. And it's it's an away game. You're already, your back's already against the wall, in my opinion. So yep. to get them on their turf and and have them get as close as you can get to them and get into their bedroom and, and do that kind of thing and, and get an opportunity at them, that is the ultimate high for me no matter what. And a lot of you know, a lot of people say, don't you ever want to go elk hunting or anything? Yeah, I, I do. But out of all these things in the world, if I had an opportunity to hunt a whitetail anywhere or go on any other hunt, I honestly would pick whitetail over anything. Yeah. I can honestly say that. And I, I know I've, I've heard from people that don't hunt many whitetails, like western guys or – um, you know, a lot of Canadian guys, I think, I mean, I know there's deer up there, but there's just a certain group of people that, you know, they, they live to elk hunt or they live to moose hunt, you know, or, or bear hunt. But I mean, you ask anybody that hunts anything else, I think they'll tell you that the hardest thing they could possibly hunt is a whitetail. Like if you can beat a whitetail, yeah. you can beat just about anything. It seems like. Yep. And a, and a lot of people ask me too. You know, they'll say, why Why do you hunt Michigan? Like, why are you hunting to kill a deer that's, you know, two and a half to three and a half years old where they're not very big deer? Well, my answer to that is 
I don't know. It's a challenge for me to go out and to to try to kill a hundred, you know, fifteen to one hundred and thirty to a thirty-five inch deer is a challenge. Like it is tough. That's fun for me. You know, I don't have to go out and kill a hundred forty, one hundred fifty, one hundred sixty inch deer. Like yeah, it's fun, and that's what I try to do. You know, that's what I strive for. But it's for me to to be able to get on a deer, like I said, in a pressured situation, that's three and a half or four and a half year old that everybody else is trying to hunt is what I don't know. And I guess you could go both ways on this. You could do it, you know, in Ohio or in Kansas, but it's just different because I've hunted in Michigan my whole life and I've hunted a lot of out of state stuff. And it's just different if you've never done it. And, you know, even going to Iowa and hunting, killing bucks in Iowa is also difficult. Like killing the upper echelon deer in, in Iowa or Kansas, that's a hard task. Everybody says there's this Iowa's on a pedestal. Well, it kind of is because it's the land of the giants. But you're not just going to go to and get in a stand every year and kill a giant every year. It's just not going to happen. You have to put the work in, and that's what I like to do about Michigan. Like the the unicorns, like you talked you know, a couple podcasts ago about a four-year-old in Michigan, like that's a unicorn in my area, and that's what I strive, you know, with three and a half and a four and a half year old deer. I, I just really enjoy that, and I hope I never lose it because it's right in my backyard, and I know that there's big deer there, yeah, yep. and deer that, you know, and it's the pursuit. It's like I said, it's the kill is the dessert, but it's the pursuit. Like I'm so looking forward to changing the farm this year, doing some more hinge cutting, and I've already started doing hinge cutting. And using these box blinds and and moving stands and running cameras again and velvet season. I'm ready for that, ready to see what's going on and what deer made it through. Like, that is the ultimate high for me. And I I just can't explain it. Now I'm just blabbering, but (laughs) I don't know. It's it's fun. It's still fun for me. Yeah, like you're, you're going against the grain. You're doing what nobody else wants to bother to do. Yeah, and there's guys in Michigan that year after year kill giants they do kill giants and you know when i mean giants they kill four or five year old deer that are 140 150 inch deer every year they just do and they're great hunters and but one of the most important things i've ever heard somebody say is like you can't kill a hundred and whatever it is you can't kill that unless you have one right you know what i mean so it's like I try to go after the top 10% of the bucks that I have. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I understand that. I think anybody can understand that. It's like you said, you, you can't hunt them if you don't have them. So, I mean, you just, depending on where you're hunting, set your standard accordingly and, you know, do the best you can to either raise them or to let them get to that standard. If that means passing a an amazing three-year-old, then, you know, you're not going to shoot them at five if you shoot them at three, no matter what they score. Right. And you're only as good as your property, right. honestly. You're only as good as what your property can produce. And for me, like my top percent, my top ten percent of my bucks are three and a half year old deer. And so to kind of circle back to the beginning of the question, what was my high point? Obviously, I told you it's it's the Jim Abbott saga. It's the story of him and being able to see him year after year. That first camera pull of the year, and he's back. That first camera pull the next year, he's back. And I'm like, yes, you know, this is going to be fun. That is hard to do in a lot of places. I'm not just saying it's hard to do in Michigan, but it is hard to get a deer year after year. And I love those stories. You know, I love finding a deer and and hunting them year after year and just seeing them grow. They're so unique year after year. They're so unique what they do. And that's what excites me. What about your low? What was your low? I think I know what it is, but oh, <laughs> my low, honestly, um, my low would be the day that I kicked Jim Abbott out of his bed, and the reason why is because I, again, curiosity got the best of me, and I did something <laughs> that I told myself I would never do, and I did it. And I got to 20 yards from him and I never, I didn't know he was there until he jumped out of his bed in the one acre in the hinge cut that I built. Uh, I hunted, I got in that stand in that box blind that morning with a gun 
like I said, it was the same morning when he was bedded, you know, 60, 70 yards from me. Got in there quiet. I hunted all morning. And he was bedded in front of me, and I, I couldn't see him because it was so thick in there. And curiosity got the best of me. I'm like, I'm going to, I want to, I wanted to walk up to the edge and see where the deer were coming out into the beans, just to kind of like a little scouting mission. I wasn't even going to go in the one acre. I just wanted to, wanted to go up there and see where the movement was because there were standing beans, and I wanted to see if I was going to be catching any of these deer if there was a lot of movement or not and I got 20 yards from him and he jumped up and was out of there and that honestly my heart sank and that right there I even told myself I was like that's gonna be the last time I see Jim I bet you know I, I just knew it and then boy I don't know it was hmm, I don't know a week later and that's when I got the phone call that he got hit by the car yeah so you know i don't know that was probably the low point it was just my heart sank and i'm like god oh, dang i got sick to my stomach and it's like you 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 do things for a reason and i was so upset at myself i did everything for a reason you you have to be calculated in every decision you make and every step you make you know a lot of people say when you walk around the woods in michigan uh, it's like you're walking on eggshells. You know, you have to be, you have to be at your best all the time. And right there, I let my guard down and I let the curiosity get the best of me. But honestly, it was a good thing because I knew he was still alive at that point. So that was a positive. And I knew he was living in the one acre. That wasn't the only time I, that was the only time I saw him on the hoof in there, but I had a lot of pictures of him in there. So he was living in there. So the, the structure that, you know, we built and did the hinge cutting and everything, it was working. Now it was just trying to figure out the best way to hunt it. So it goes in stages. It steps, yeah. you know. Trying to figure out the best, you know, they're there. It attracts them. Now it's trying to figure out the best way to hunt them. So that was a good positive. And another takeaway from it was me, I think the best learning points are when you fail. I failed. Yeah, all for sure. And now and now I know I will never do that again. Yep. You know, curiosity gets the best of me, but it's like, no, you have to be disciplined discipline's key and I failed right then and it cost me three years of a journey that I don't know that I I could have capitalized on so and another positive also once he did you know freak out and get out of there I went up and checked out his bed and you know took the wind into consideration and how he entered the bed how he laid down how he was using the terrain in the one acre and the hinge cutting to bed. So that was a big thing. That was a big plus. And at the beginning of the year, I've been really trying to hone in on buck beds and how to use them and, and how to how to hunt them. And he gave me a lot of information on how he used that bed and how he used the terrain. So that was another positive. Yeah, yeah, just make the best out of a bad situation. So that would be my low. I mean, that, that morning, you know, I had him at, you know, how however far, within 100 yards for sure, and and then I ended up screwing it up again. So, uh, but a lot of good learning points this year, you know, a lot of, lot of uh, even when I shot him with my bow on the 13th, you know, I rushed the heck out of it, you know, making that moment slow down. That's, we talked a little bit about that with Chuck and, the yeah. moment of truth and how you make that moment slow down and and so a lot of a lot of positives even though they were negatives a lot of positives come from learning points from the negatives this year for me unfortunately the way it goes i mean if you did every if you did everything right like in your whole life across every aspect of it if you did everything right the first time like how much fun would you really be having or not even fun but like You'd 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 be freaking bored, I think. Like, yeah, you wouldn't have that feeling of failure. I mean, the best way to figure out how to do something right is to do it wrong. No matter how many times it takes to do it wrong, you eliminate those parts of the process until it becomes right, and then right. That's that's the reward. Yep, definitely. I agree, hundred percent, man. And you'll never make that mistake again. Well, in my case, like I can't speak for everybody else, but I'll never make that mistake again. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, like you said, your curiosity got you, and your gut said you know better, but you did it anyway, and you were reminded that your gut was right. 
And that's another thing. I, <laughs> from now on, I go with my gut. If my gut says don't do it, then don't do it. You just got to tell that little guy on your shoulder that's saying, no, you can go do it. You can do it. Tell him to shut the hell up yeah. and just <laughs> not do it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I call it instinct. I mean, again, talking with Chuck last week, you know, you're either born with it or you're not. Like, not everybody's a hunter, and that's fine. But there's certain things about hunters that make them who they are and, you know, contribute to their success. And call it a gut feeling. I call it instinct. I mean, it's it's the same thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, when it, even aging deer or scoring deer or what you should or shouldn't do, access, uh, when to take the shot, you know, all those things, like, they all have to be made, all those are choices that you have to make. They have to be made correctly, you know, in the right time frame to capitalize and to be successful. And I agree 100% with you, and and I don't know. I don't know either, man. It's all you can do. Just keep making mistakes and learning from them and make yourself a better hunter for that reason. But what I, what I do know is we're – we're coming up on time. We're we're pushing time here, and I actually have to yep. uh, get some stuff together. I got to go film Jared Mills tonight. I got to be at his house here in about an hour. What do you think about getting him on here? Yeah, let's do it, man. Talk to him about it tonight. Let's get him on here and right. and do one. I'm sure he will. He's done a couple for other podcasts, so I'm I'm sure he'd jump on. Yeah, I'm gonna get ready here as well, and I'm gonna hit the woods, get the muzzleloader out, and. All right. Do it all again. Well, good luck. I got a feeling you're going to see that buck again. Hopefully. Hopefully Malcolm shows up and we uh, we seal the deal. I'll keep me posted. Will do, man. I'll talk to you. Good luck tonight. All right, you too. search for the one they call king but who will take his throne tune in to waypoint tv's battle for silver saturday may 18th from 12 to 6 p.m eastern presented by abyss battery waypoint tv on mondays head offshore with captain scott walker and steve roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures coming to me coming to me coming to me double he's jumping he's jumping he's jumping oh, oh. Look at that don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m eastern tell a few fish stories along the way on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment